Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. There's a couple new faces in the room. Uh, we made a little bit of a change to who gets to worship in here with us. And so we've invited our uh, three and four year olds class, uh, which is normally in the other room. Uh, as we were talking about it, we thought that it might be helpful uh, for them to be in with the worship with us. Uh, we believe as a church that there's value in kids uh, seeing their parents worship. And so that's why at five years old, we try to incorporate them into the whole service. But we're going to start allowing our three and four year olds to stay in in the worship service. So at this time, I'm going to invite all the three and four year olds that stayed. If you could go back with uh, Miss Nicole and go to your class. Thank you for worshiping with us. And for everyone else, if you've got your Bibles, let me invite you uh, to open with me to the Gospel of Mark. It is a, it's a sweet thing uh, to hear my four-year-old uh, singing songs in his room by himself uh, that we sing here at church. Uh, he's watching everything and uh, soaking in so much. And so uh, I'm excited about that, that small change in the service. Mark chapter 7 is where we'll be this morning. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse 14. Last week, uh, oh, if you, if you don't have a copy of God's Word and you want a hard copy to look off of, just slip up your hand. Cody's in the back and he's going to uh, bring extra Bibles. We've got extra Bibles. So if you want one, just slip up your hand and he'll bring you one. If not, it's going to be on the screen. We've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark uh, as a church family. And last week we were in verses 1 through 13. And uh, we found ourselves in a conversation between Jesus and those who set themselves up against Jesus. So, so normally at this time of the year, we would do like a short sort of Advent series uh, or a Christmas series. And, and we'd, we'd do, you know, three or four weeks where we would go through the Christmas message and, uh, and sort of pick thematic uh, passages that talk about Christ and Christmas and all those things. But since we've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark, when you sort of we thought through where we're going to go as a church. I thought, you know, we're, we're in the gospel of Mark. We're in Jesus's life. We're in Jesus's words right now. I don't want to break to go to some other series. We're, we're already talking about the fact that Jesus has come, and we're talking about what Jesus did, and we're talking about what Jesus said and what he's doing. I mean, this is what Christmas is all about. God came to earth. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he walked among us, and he said stuff, and he did stuff. And, and as we look at Jesus, uh, we look at God. We, we hear Jesus. We hear Jesus' words. Now, so I was thinking, this is, this is going to be great. But then the Advent season came, and the passages we landed in were when Jesus sort of turned to— Somebody's yelling at me. Siri's talking to me. Okay. Uh, we, we turned to this place in the Gospels where Jesus has kind of turned the tables, and he's been, like, inviting sinners. He's been working miracles. He's been doing all these gentle, lowly, awesome things. But we find ourselves in Mark chapter 7 where Jesus is throwing down with the Pharisees and the hypocrites. <laughs> so we find ourselves in this Christmas season actually in passages which highlight the depths of human sinfulness more than we see all the glories and goodness of Christmassy things. But I think that God's sovereign in that. Well, I know that God's sovereign in that. 
Because sometimes, in order to really enjoy the blessing and the goodness of the promises of Christmas, um, you really have to know how insane it is that God would be so good to us when we've been so bad to him. (laughs) Uh, To to appreciate the goodness of the gospel, as Paul Washer uh, once said it, it's like to appreciate the stars in the sky, the night has to be really dark. To appreciate the goodness of the gospel, we have to realize just how much we don't deserve Jesus coming in the first place, or living a perfect life, or dying the death I deserved, or inviting me into relationship with him. Jesus finds himself face to face with the Pharisees and the scribes who were the example uh, or the epitome of human wickedness in many respects. Uh, The Pharisees and the scribes traveled down to Jerusalem to confront Jesus. And in last week's passage, we saw that they actually accused Jesus and the disciples of sin. They accused them of of. Uh, in what their view of sin was, of disobeying the tradition of the elders, or a man-made code for remaining ceremonially pure. Jesus and and his disciples had failed to do something that they thought that they should do. Jesus and his disciples had not washed their hands prior to eating, and thus, according to this man-made tradition of some of the religious leaders back then, they defiled themselves. And so they accused Jesus of sin, and Jesus responds to their accusation by cutting to the real heart of the problem. The Pharisees, as we learned last week, were hypocrites, pretenders, people who, like many of us at many times, loved looking godly more than they actually loved God. They loved looking godly more than they loved God. They valued their own words more than they valued God's words, and they served themselves rather than others. And so after calling the Pharisees out, Jesus then turns to the people that were present, and he turns to his disciples that were present, and he wants them to learn from the conflict. He wants them to take away an important theological principle. And so as Jesus turns to the crowd and his disciples to explain, he also turns to us this morning, and he wants us to learn something. So look with me at verses 14 through 23. We're going to read, and then we're going to pause and pray for God to grant us understanding. Verse 14. And Jesus called the people to him again, And said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciple asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled, thus he declares all foods clean. And he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, 
murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Let's pray together. (coughs) Lord, you have led us to this passage as a church family for some reason this morning. And so we ask that you would teach us through it. Help us to respond to it rightly. Help us to understand it. And Father, through this passage, we pray that you might save someone eternally this morning, that you might convict someone internally this morning, that you might lead us to repentance and faith and life more abundant, Lord. We pray, lead us now by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 14, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. Truth number one this morning, Jesus determines what is right and wrong. The first thing I want you to notice in verse 14 is the authority with which Jesus speaks. The Pharisees have come to him accusing him of breaking a man-made rule. They have appealed Uh, They have appealed to what they think morality should be like. Then Jesus directs his attention to the crowd around him, and he issues a command. Hear me, all of you, and understand. In other words, don't listen to the tradition of other people. Don't listen to yourself. Listen to me. He claims for himself authority to interpret and declare what is actually true. He corrects them from cherishing their own opinions and the opinions of others, and Jesus directs them to his own words. And he does this because Jesus understands his own words to be God's words. Jesus understands his own words to be morality-defining Reality-shaping words. When Jesus speaks, storms stop, right? When Jesus speaks, demons flee. When, when he speaks, right, bread just appears for the people. Jesus' words define reality. They create reality. And that is true not only for wind and waves and rain. That's true for what is right and what is wrong. Jesus says it is The one who hears him who understands what is right and wrong. And if we're honest, there's something within us that is uncomfortable with that, right? There's something inside of us that naturally does not like it that God is the one that determines what is right or wrong in any given situation. Though God is the one that created the world, though God is the one that designed everything about the world, there's something inside of us that, that rather than hearing God and understanding, we want to say, no, God, you hear me and you understand the way things should work. There's something inside of us that wants to be God rather than submit to God as the one who defines morality. 
The question is, what is that something inside of us, that frustration, that angst with the way things are? Why is it uncomfortable that God has the prerogative for declaring what should be and what shouldn't be? What we should do and what we shouldn't do. What we should think and what we shouldn't think. Well, I think that we, we find the answer in the text. Let's, let's keep reading. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to him, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So remember, the, the Pharisees are confronting Jesus because they have eaten without washing their hands first. Because there was a ceremonial practice that you were to wash off all the sin and the filth from the marketplace. All the evil things. You were supposed to wash it off before you touched your food and put it in your mouth. Because if you didn't clean yourself physically, if you didn't go through the ceremonial ritual, then you would then uh, bring the impurity into yourself. So your, your outward action would actually make you impure, or unclean, or sinful, or in, not in good standing with God. So you had to go through the religious actions in order to get cleansed, as if there was power in the actual substance. So it's an external thing. They're like, oh, you didn't participate in this external thing, Jesus. You're in trouble. And Jesus confronts their entire worldview, the entire worldview of the Pharisees and the scribes, with one sentence. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person, <laughs> that's what defiles a person. These religious leaders are concerned with outward displays of purity, symbolic religious washings to keep themselves pure. And Jesus said you should be less concerned about all that outside stuff and more concerned with what's inside you. Jesus' disciples are hearing this. And they don't get it, per usual, right? <laughs> and Jesus explains further in verse 18. So let's, let's sort of read through the text again. Verse 18, Jesus says to them, Then are you also without understanding? It's a question Jesus finds himself asking a lot to the disciples. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it doesn't enter the heart but its stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean, which we'll talk about that parentheses a little bit more next week. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts. And then he just lists a litany of sins. Why is it that we are uncomfortable with God's right to determine what is right and wrong? I think this is what Jesus would say. Truth number two, the heart of man needs a change. The heart of man needs a change. Change. Verse 21 is the big theological summary statement at the center of this passage. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man. Now notice that Jesus does not limit verse 21 to just the Pharisees and the scribes. He does not say out of the heart of those Pharisees come all these things. He does not say out of the heart of those guys. He does not say out of the heart of unbelievers or out of the heart of the disciples that don't understand. He just says out of the heart of man. So this general declaration 
is, 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 is of what all human hearts produce out of their very nature. Jesus lists 13 manifestations of sin that proceed naturally out of the human heart. That is, every person in here, our hearts are factories. We create evil. It's, it's not a, a nature versus nurture. You're not just thrown into a bad world. You're thrown into a bad world, and you already have a bad heart, Jesus says. Let me, let me just put each of these in a sentence to, to, to drive home the reality that Jesus is unveiling here. Let's just pick each one of these, these things he puts in a list. The human heart produces evil thoughts. That is, thoughts that are against God rather than thoughts that submit to God. The human heart produces sexual immorality. That is, desire for relationships contrary to the way God designed sex and sexuality. The human heart produces theft. That is the desire to take what is not yours at the expense of someone else. The human heart produces murder. That is anger and hate that leads to the action of actually not caring about someone else so much that you take their life. The human heart produces all that goes into the decision to commit adultery. It produces desires that strangle out any love you have for your spouse and replaces it with destructive desires for someone else. The human heart produces coveting. That is, the lie that some created thing or some circumstance or some stage of life will satisfy you. Covetousness is that self-deception which says the real problem is my circumstances rather than the real problem is my heart, which desires all the wrong things. The human heart produces wickedness. Again, it produces a will that opposes God. The human heart produces deceit. That is the willingness to forsake what is true and to convince someone else of what is a lie. The human heart produces sensuality. Now that word carries with it the idea of self-abandonment. It's, it's that point you get into your life. It's a kind of reckless disregard for the consequences of your decisions even though they're destroying you. The human heart produces envy. That is a twisted perspective that would rather not see someone else excel in something. It's that natural inclination not to celebrate someone else's success, but rather grow bitter because it's not happening to you. The human heart produces slander. Now that word slander is the same word translated as blasphemy. It's speech that is designed to defame someone else. It's words designed to hurt someone else. The human heart produces the desire to hurt other people with words to make yourself feel better. How sick is that? <laughs> that we <laughs> how sick is that? That there's something inside of you that enjoys talking about someone else in such a way that makes them look worse than you. You admit it, <laughs> right? Like... There's something inside you that enjoys discussions that makes other people look bad. The human heart produces pride. That is the untrue estimation of ourselves 
to be ultimate, to be important, to be more deserving, to be better than others, and ultimately better than God. And lastly, the human heart produces foolishness. The word foolishness there could be translated just lack of sense. Could just be translated craziness. In other words, the heart produces ways of thinking and acting that just don't correspond with reality. They don't even correspond with what you say you believe. In other words, Jesus is saying our heart literally produces crazy thoughts and crazy actions that don't correspond with reality and ultimately lead us to self-destruction. Merry Christmas. <laughs> according, to, <laughs> according to Jesus, this is the natural human condition. And this is consistent with what the whole Bible teaches. I mean, the Bible's message is not that we have good hearts, we just need some help. The Bible's message is not that we, the, the Bible's me message is actually that we have wicked hearts that need to be made new. It's a, re it's a reality that's articulated as early as Genesis chapter 6 when God looks out at the entire world. And this is what God says in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is a reality that is described in depth later by the Apostle Paul, as we saw in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. This is humanity. Although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 2, 5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed it's it's the heart that is defiled it's it's inside of us that overflows into the more visible expressions of evil in the world we don't need to be made nicer something fundamentally needs to change about us elsewhere jesus likens what needs to happen with the analogy of spiritual rebirth like a total making new of who you are. He tells Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who believed the same types of things as the Pharisees in this passage, but he's curious about Jesus. He meets under the cover of night with Jesus, and this is what Jesus tells that Pharisee in John 3, 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So your greatest need this morning is not to simply come to church more. It's not just to become a church member or to be baptized. It's not to shed that one or two sin that you struggle with. Your greatest need is a heart change that only God can do. Truth number two, the heart of man needs a change. But why is Jesus making this point in this context. Well, the Pharisees are giving their attention to the wrong problem and thus to the wrong solution. The Pharisees think the most important aspect of their morality is outward observance of religious stuff. The Pharisees think that purity and cleanliness before the Lord is just a matter of obeying some churchy rules. They think that as long as they eat the right thing, wash the right thing, go to the right thing, give the right thing, wear the right thing, say the right thing, then they remain pure in God's sight. 
and Jesus redirects their emphasis. Verse 18, Jesus says to them, are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside can't defile him? Verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. There's a point being made here about there are all these external attempts to be godly, look godly, do godly things. Jesus is making a point that these things are useless. You can take all the steps not to put any impure thing in your mouth, all the while it's what's inside of you that's defiling you. Truth number three, religious rule following doesn't change a heart. Religious rule following doesn't change a heart. If you're here this morning and you've thought that Christianity is just about following a bunch of rules so that God will accept you, please allow Jesus to adjust your perspective this morning. If you're here this morning and you think your biggest need is just to get better at religious rule following, please allow Jesus to correct you this morning. External religious rule following is not the primary message of Christianity. The primary message of Christianity is that there's no amount of religious rule following that will change fundamentally what's wrong with us. <laughs> the Apostle Paul gave himself to religious rule following, following more intensely and more passionately than any, most people in human history. But it was not until he met the resurrected Jesus that he understood what the message of Christianity really was. Listen to him as he describes coming to the end of himself in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. In other words, I, man, I have reason to be proud of all the outward stuff I did. If anyone else thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to a zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever gain I had... I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And listen to the key here. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul considers all his attempts to be righteous as rubbish before the Lord. He came to the point where he recognized he needed a righteousness that was not his own. He needed one that only comes as a gift through Jesus and from Jesus as we trust Jesus. Because no matter how hard Paul tried, no matter how much he cleaned himself up and went through the steps, he still had a heart that religious rule following wouldn't change. Here at St. Rose Community Church, um, we, in order to become a member of our church, you have to go through this six-week membership class. Um, in that class, we discuss essentials of our faith. We help you understand what we believe, um, so that you'll know what you're joining 
uh, before you join it. You, we'll know a little bit more about you. Uh, but that class doesn't save anybody. <laughs> uh, that class doesn't get you any closer to the Lord. But one of the reasons we do the class is so that we can get to know you and hear your testimony of how God saved you through faith in Jesus and how God changed your heart. Because here's the reality. We live in a culturally Christian context. And what that means is that means that there are a lot of people who think that they are Christian because they've done Christiany things in their life. There are a lot of people who assume that they are eternally saved because of the religious things they've done or because of the bad things they haven't done. But in reality, they're trusting in external things. All the while, the internal heart has never actually been changed. So people will come saying, I am a Christian, though they do not actually know Jesus. Experientially in the way that Jesus came to save us and change us. The membership class itself doesn't change anybody's heart or save anybody. But what it does is it gives everyone a relational context to discuss these things with someone who cares and occasionally someone comes into those meetings thinking they're a Christian and they're confronted with just how good the gospel is and they realize I've never trusted that message I've never been moved by that message I've never been changed by that message I've known a lot of things about God but I've never known God and they realize for the first time that becoming a Christian means to put total trust in what Jesus has done not what you have done the passage here in Mark 6 is meant to cast I'm sorry Mark 7 is meant to cast a somewhat hopeless shadow over the human heart in fact the passage here in Mark 7, uh, it kind of ends only having learned the human condition is evil <laughs> and that the human condition is unaffected by religious things. I mean, the, the hope of the passage is not articulated here. The story just kind of moves on. The hope of this passage is not articulated, but the hope of this passage is present in the passage. The hope of this passage is Jesus himself. <laughs> The hope of this passage is the fact that Jesus, that God, <laughs> that God would come to earth and even talk to people who hate him, <laughs> who, who aren't concerned with him, who aren't thankful for the life that God gave them, who are only concerned with serving themselves, that Jesus is present here in this story and they're attacking him and Jesus, by his grace, is teaching and explaining that which separates them from him. Jesus, by his grace, is exposing the depths of the human heart and he's doing so as he's explaining, this is what comes from your heart, this is what comes from your heart, this is what comes from your heart. We need to remember that everything he's articulating, this is what comes from your heart, we know the whole story. Every one of those things is, are things that Jesus came to die on the cross for. This is, it's adultery, it's sexual morality. He's, he's saying all these things. He's, and you're thinking, man, he's really accusatory. Well, yeah, he's going to take the guilt for all of that on himself for any who would believe. 
He's identifying sins he came to die for. And Jesus understood himself to be the fulfillment of a new covenant promised hundreds of years prior that's not about religious rule following. It's about a God who changes dead hearts. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, God says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my st- statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Truth number four. Truth number four, Jesus changes hearts. The problem Jesus is identifying is a problem that Jesus alone can change. The message of Christmas, message of hope, joy, peace that we celebrate this season is only possible because Jesus came into a broken world full of broken hearts and he made a way through faith in him for hearts to be made new. Christian salvation is a miracle of hearts being opened to know God and love God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul, speaking about salvation, says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? You hear what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, That the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the power at work in us to open our eyes to believe in God, to love God, to serve God, to do anything good at all. Every person who repents and believes and is changed is a walking, talking billboard for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You're a testimony to the miracle work of God. I was encouraged this week as I was thinking through this sermon and thinking back to over the six years of pastoral ministry at St. Rose Community Church, how, how this passage, this is not theoretical. <laughs> this is not abstract or unknown. Over the past six years of pastoral ministry here, I've seen hearts changed. I've, I've seen people totally change from what they were to what they are. There's some people in this room that since I've been pastor here, since your St. Rose Community Church, that, that I've seen their hearts change. I've been a part of their baptism. This is going to be embarrassing to somebody. If, you, if, if you've experienced the kind of heart change just in the last six years that we see in this text, can you just raise your hand? Raise your hand. And just in the last, stand up, actually, so everybody can see. In the, if, if, if in the last six years, stand up, everybody that, that experienced that from this text for the first time I've been baptized, yeah. You guys can be seated. Some of you didn't stand, and I'm going to come after you after the service. <laughs> I know who you are. You look around, and what you're seeing are embodied, physical people who've experienced the text that I'm reading. <laughs> who once were one way or now are this way. Jesus 
changes hearts. And let me conclude um, with just a few takeaways, a few implications from Jesus' heart diagnosis here in this passage. A couple takeaways for us. Takeaway number one. Don't trust your feelings, trust God. Takeaway number one, don't trust your feelings, trust God. If Jesus' diagnosis of our heart is correct, then we should be very slow to trust our feelings. Even the new heart has old heart tendencies. We live in a broken world and we still live in these broken bodies. The fullness of our new heart will not be enjoyed until the last day when God totally restores everything is broken, takes away all the sin, all the temptations. The fullness of our heart will not be enjoyed until then. With our new heart presently, we have the desire to fight sin, the capability to fight sin, but we don't immediately become sinless. <laughs> There's still a fight to be fault. With our new heart, we're able to wage spiritual war against our old self, but the old self keeps trying to gain spiritual ground. So we fight not by trusting our natural inclinations and feeling, but rather putting trust in what God says and where God's word directs. So the second that you find yourself trying to justify a sinful act because you say, I feel like it should be this way, recognize from where that comes recognize the difference between your feelings and inclinations and thoughts of what should be and what God says is. So don't trust your feelings, trust God. Takeaway number two, seek heart change, not just behavior change. So God sees our hearts, he works to mold and shape our hearts. We should not be concerned with behavior modification only but we should be concerned with our heart modification. So, so I'm, not, I'm not satisfied if Owen cleans his room, eats all his food, and hates me. I, I, I'm not satisfied if Owen uh, cleans his room, eats all his food, just because he's scared of a whooping. My greatest desire for Owen is that there's a heart change in him where he actually loves me and loves his mother, that his actions actually are an overflow of what's inside. And I believe that's what God desires for us. Simply not doing sinful things is too low of a goal. We should seek God's grace to not only stop us from doing sinful things, but we should seek God's grace for changing sinful thoughts and sinful motivations. Behavior change might stop you from cussing the person out, right? But heart change actually creates a genuine love for that person. And there's a big difference. And if your goal shifts, <laughs> if you shift from desiring to actually be made new from within, the behavior modification stuff follows, right? I mean, that's that's, that's, that's going to come. And so, so part of the Christian walk is, is, is crying out to God, do in me what I can't do to myself. It's the prayer of David in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Takeaway number three, final takeaway. And this is something we've talked about at length, but this is the key. If you want to know the Lord, you know the gospel, 
you want to be saved this morning, right now. <laughs> if you want to come into eternal life this morning, takeaway number three, don't trust your works. Trust Jesus' work. In our struggle against the sinful tendencies of our heart, we will fail. Even after God changes our heart, we will fail. But our failures, they don't cripple us, they don't overwhelm us, they don't destroy us. Because the gospel message we believe in is that we strive to serve God out of a place of acceptance and love. Because of Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf. Not our work to serve Jesus. God's salvation of us, his love for us, his grace toward us, his promise of eternal life for us is not accomplished by us at all. It was accomplished by Jesus. Who lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, rose again to give life we couldn't earn, and now he sends his spirit to change our hearts that we can't change. And it's a message to be believed and received, not earned. So I want to close this morning uh, with Paul's summary of what the gospel message is in Titus chapter 3. And I want to urge you to respond to it this morning. If you're a Christian, then your response is praise the Lord for the miracle. If you're not a Christian, then talk to God right now and ask for forgiveness and ask for a new heart. And and he will be faithful to answer that prayer. (laughs) God doesn't say no when you plead for him to save you and forgive you. He answers that prayer. Titus 3, verse 3. This is the gospel we believe in. This is the gospel we celebrate at Christmas. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Help us, God. It was a miracle when you caused my heart to believe when I was just eight years old. It's been a miracle ever since, every time I've repented of sin and trusted you more. I pray that you would do over, I pray you would do hundreds of those miracles in this room as we respond to you even now. In Jesus' name, amen.